Welcome, everybody. It's Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast. I'm Tim Lindsay. And I'm Christian Bonner. It's uh, been a couple of months, and obviously the biggest news is that the Stones are back out on the road, and unfortunately, uh, Charlie did not get better and very sadly passed away, and that's been a horrible shock for all of us. Um, thank you for everybody reaching out to us on social media and sending us some very lovely emails. Um, it's really nice that you thought about us when you heard the news. That's really heartwarming. Um, you know, we all grieve in our own way in our own time. And I'm sure a lot of you out there are still not over it. I know we're all still reeling from the shock of Charlie's passing. So um, we did want to come back and just acknowledge that we we're glad that you thought of us. Yeah, it's it's that it's been extremely difficult to even accept as fact, and then try to live in a world without Charlie Watts for the last little while. Um, I love I love Steve Jordan, and I'm definitely still on board. And I want to see like it. You know, the only Mick said this in an interview lately, but like the idea that they're not going to keep going is strange to me because chaos has been the one consistent thing in the Rolling Stones career and all the chaos and tragedy aside it is a very like make or break moment it's an intense moment in Rolling Stones history to to look at this you know the the lead guitar position is a revolving door and and everything else but like Charlie especially even even compared to Mick or Keith, Charlie is very much the foundation of this. So it's hard to understand. And it is great that people, that this has engaged the community in such a way. I thought it was very difficult at first to decide what the right level of response and what type of response to give was. And and it seems like uh, most people are just in the same place and they want to do that processing publicly and and with other Rolling Stones fans. So that part of it has been very good and very healthy. Yeah. Uh we try to keep the the people who sell horrible bootleg t-shirts uh when a celebrity has died, you know, that the this whole weird industry of people selling horribly photographed t-shirts. Uh we that's been the the worst part of it. Uh as far as the fan base is concerned, but that's under control and yeah, they are what they are. Um, but yeah, the group has been really cool. Uh, the Charlie Watts group has been very cool. I thought I was the biggest one on, on Facebook, but I'm not, but that dude who it's called Charlie's drums. A lot of people who listen, if you listen to us, you'll find this fascinating. Um, this guy like meticulously, he was a part of the road crew or something like that, but he knows all about the drums and he posts his like history of working with Charlie and like what he did as a tech and everything. It's a really small Facebook group, but I just wanted to shout him out because he's like personally attached oh, that's awesome. to it. And he'll always post these little things of like backstage. Uh, oh yeah, this is when uh, so-and-so came by or whatever. And we got a new bell brass something you know whatever but if you like drums and you like the stones and you like charlie that's a really interesting little community there yeah i'd also like to thank everybody who reached out to us yeah. but or me personally or whatever like we're something of pillars of the rolling stones community as far as um the tiny sliver of you know like toronto elder millennial rolling stones fans so it's been great to 
contact everybody. I mean, the circumstances are horrible, but it it does engage everybody. And we're all like kind of a little more active and present, I think, these days. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, it's been a hard year as far as waiting for concerts. And like, you know, everything we said in the last podcast about the show having to continue just to keep keep faith alive goes... So, uh, I think that they're know. too important a cultural institution to let it go. I mean, they have been for a long time. A guy that I know vaguely, I'm, I have a friend and his older brother is a musician and, and my friend whose name is Pete, uh, who uh, I accidentally uh, actually uh, just told about the show the other day because my friends obviously follow everything I do. But he was he sent me this thing from his brother because his brother is a musician and just saw the Stones and he said that you know, he had written them off in 89 when they were past their prime or whatever. And he'd never seen them live and he just went to see them. And he's, he's in the same circumstance as me, like huge fan of Steve Jordan has actually, you know, imagined this or fantasized about it. And now we have this guilty uh, pleasure of seeing Steve Jordan play with the Rolling Stones. And he's, he was just said, I can't believe I waited this long. And it was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, like, and that, to me, had strong under-the-radar mm. energy because that's what we've been saying for some time. And yeah. that's my favorite thing. I've been trying to spread the word. My favorite thing is when some guy's like, yeah, I'm, I've am i been a fan since 65 and I never listened to Emotional Rescue until these until these nerds told me to listen to it on a podcast and then I did it. And, <laughs> and it was, and, you know, it's like even when they say like, oh, I didn't really like it, but I, I appreciated it more or... Uh, some people just realize that you know Voodoo Lounge is a fantastic record, or British to Babylon has has some of their most mature work ever. I mean that that to me is the essence of why we why we started this in the first place. So um, that's also been cool. Yeah, I'm also appreciative that um, our new friend Paul out in Alberta reached out to us and um, wrote a very comprehensive, very thorough response to the podcast. Yeah, he's a he's a thorough man. Uh, <laughs> good man. It's a good man. He has, uh, <laughs> he has been dedicating uh, a lot of his time to launching his Rolling Stones Live Rarities blog, which we recommend you check out. And it's a curation of rarely played stuff or or rare stuff that didn't really make it into a lot of set lists. Oh yeah, um, go check that out. It's no, he knows so much about that. Yeah, I felt like I needed to go read a while about bootlegs because he just, this guy is just like made, made us look like amateurs, you know, like we're tiny babies yeah. who have no idea. What well, we're we've doing. always said that the bootleg thing, we are going to leave to other people. And, you know, if you're interested in falling down that particular rabbit hole, I think Paul's resource is a good one to start with. And the address, if you're interested is rollingstoneslive.blogspot.com. So go check that out and give Paul a, uh, under the radar sent me if you happen to wander there. Um, a couple other things I wanted to mention just because, you're right. yeah, the timing of this is fortuitous because uh, I, not only is this Sunday the 17th my birthday, but it's also the 60th anniversary of Mick and Keith's momentous meeting at the Dartford Railway Station platform number two in 1961. So so I have both of those records. I finally tracked down Rockin' at the Hops. But Best of Muddy Waters is easy to find, but Rockin' at the Hops is is not. And uh, I actually have them both on vinyl. There you so go. We should, go we should recreate Station. it. Yeah, we should go to Union Station. Yeah. And, We're on the ghost station. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go to the ghost. Yeah, 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 exactly. That sounds like a great photo op. I think we should definitely do that. Um, yeah. So this is like... No one will get yeah, it, but no. yeah. 
I mean, if you obviously there was some contention and Bill Wyman got very grumpy about that plaque, uh, the blue heritage plaque for not mentioning. Not mentioning Brian. But why would you commemorate? Look, look, I'm, I know better than to provoke these people. But why would you commemorate? Why does Brian Jones need to be mentioned? Brian Jones has a, a statue of him. Yeah. Like, it's 100% him. You can go to it or look at a picture of it anytime you want. Like. <laughs> When we're commemorating the Mick and Keith meeting, why do we need to bring up Brian Jones? This is so weird. It's like it's a, it's a 24th anniversary of Live Licks. And then some guy's like, well, you didn't mention Brian Jones. It's like, well, he didn't play on the record. Anyway, I don't get it. I never will. But uh, it's, it's good because, you know, this is like the beginning of the next 10 years of activity. You know, this 60 and counting, we've been like, you know joking around about it but after this leg of no filter wraps up next year will be 60th anniversary of the band proper so if this all goes well and it seems to be going well i speculate that charlie's health issues may have actually been the reason why they couldn't work on the record in quarantine because if you think about it you know once everyone was vaccinated even though keith's in america and jamaica and oh uh, you know, Woody and Mick are in England, France, and whatever. They have various homes around the world, I'm sure, but their home bases are there. There's no reason why they couldn't have booked a COVID-safe room, um, flown everyone by private jet, they're vaccinated, whatever. Like, they're, these guys have some money, from what I understand. So uh, I think that the reason that they probably couldn't have been recording is that as Keith says, they want everybody in the same room. And the reason why was probably that Charlie was too ill uh, or something or undergoing medical procedures, this, that, and the other, whatever. So it seems like the plans had been in place. It was a horrible, horrible eventuality. But the fact is that they had to have had some foreknowledge of this. It seems like people close to the band were aware that Charlie was ill to one degree or another. I, I do want to respect the family's uh, wishes and not speculate on that too far but as far as why the recording was held up i think that that's a pretty reasonable guess now as to what they do going forward uh obviously they do have a lot of tracks with charlie on them and whether these come out as singles or whether they try to do it as an album or if steve jordan comes in they go try to go forward with steve jordan and record fr fresh new songs with him um, we don't know. There may be some technological options. Obviously, they could sample Charlie's drums and have Steve play it, whatever. They're, they could do any number of, of a million things because they are powerful, wealthy, influential people. I think that there's probably more impetus now to hear Charlie's last recordings. Um, I know that looking forward for me like the tattoo you box is going to be an even bigger deal now because now that there's been a end date on charlie watts's career people are going to go back the diff one of the big differences between being a beatles fan and a rolling stones fan is that being a beatles fan is like studying classical greece it's a very small focused amount of time um and it's been ended for so long like the the final word on the Beatles was written so long ago now that pretty much every academic opinion, conjecture, fanciful speculation has been said there. Whereas with the Rolling Stones, the history keeps going. Like it or not, uh, there is a question mark 
it's like Aladdin saying yeah. that last day has yeah, a yeah, yeah. question mark and we just don't know where the actual end of the story James is. James Bond will return in dot, 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 question mark. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe it'll be Billy Eilish next time because <laughs> it can't be Daniel Craig. I don't know. Um, that's a different podcast. But, but when you look at Brian Jones or Bill Wyman, their period, or McTaylor, their peer, the, the reason why there's these segmented portions of the fan base there is because that period is over and people can say oh i like this guy's years it's mm-hmm. focused so it's easier to look at I'm trying to study the ron wood era which is a concept they don't really believe in but like trying to study the modern history of the rolling stones is is hampered by the fact that it's still going yeah but so anyway long-winded way of saying i think there's going to be a lot of interest in hearing what charlie was doing oh for sure right before and historically into the archives Huge emphasis, I think, on this is a a part played by Charlie in its entirety. Vintage, yeah. you know, vintage Charlie. Well, they've right? put as the an intro video for the tour now. They've used the backing track from "Can't You Hear Me Knocking," the just Charlie's part. Yeah, 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 yeah. and that's no. so great. That's and the then, one that everybody seems to have gravitated onto that as like the one to show his genius. I mean, I think you hear it in everything he ever played, but like. Can't you hear me knocking? Everyone seems to agree is yeah. the, the one. And like the crowd response to that video, when you if you have gone on YouTube and looked at any of the footage, <laughs> is is amazing. It's obviously, oh, yeah. no, no. It's, you know, everybody's there to celebrate the Rolling Stones, and Charlie is such a huge part of the whole thing that yeah, how could you not? You know, yeah. There, there's not a dry eye in the house yeah. for that. And I think he's on. I haven't actually watched this, but because I'm trying to limit my intake of the tour in case they do end up bringing it here next year, but. Somebody told me that they have him up for the final bow on the screens as well, which is, again, a wonderful gesture, and I hope that that continues. And, you know, they've been busting out some interesting stuff so far. I think um, they... Yeah, definitely some cool choices. Yeah, they brought out 19th Nervous Breakdown as kind of a new staple in the original studio arrangement, which is... I don't think anybody was expecting that, you know, have Mick and Keith singing the bridge on one microphone, you know? Oh yeah, that's cool. That's great. Like Don and Phil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also heard that they aren't doing brown sugar anymore. Yeah, now this has caused a lot of controversy because I think they took, well, there were two big pieces about the tour that kind of went out at the same time. And it's a real study in contrast because the LA Times piece is the one with all the sound bites from Mick and Keith that everybody have been like dissecting and regurgitating and all these clickbait sites. Uh, and then there's a much longer, more considered long form interview with Steve Jordan in Variety. And if you only have time to read one, read the Variety piece because Steve's insights are obviously amazing. And you know, there's all these sites being like, well, we'd be interested to know what Steve Jordan thought about dropping brown sugar because he's black. And it's like he said in the interview yeah, that yeah, he yeah. just gave that he likes that song and he would play it, but the other guys don't want to. So keyword being they don't want to play it. Nobody is forcing them to drop it. No, that makes sense. And, and you know, I think that there's the what a Jimmy Page, there's the story about how Jimmy Page uh, was reacting to the fact that, you know, uh, Robert Plant didn't want to be in Led Zeppelin no more, and he didn't like the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven. He's like, well, you could do it Dolly Parton did and just rewrite them. Yeah. Which is, like, hilarious. But they could rewrite it. Like, I mean, I love that guitar part. You know, it's it's one of those things where, like, it's just such an iconic... Like, it is, it is very on-brand for the disciples of Chuck Berry that, like, there's these fantastic 
pieces that you would love to take in their best intended form and then like you know about Chuck Berry's life and then it's like you shouldn't be singing about kids you know you yeah. shouldn't be doing that you know but it's this monster record right like the sound of that record is unbelievable like it's just like you you, you look up what a great rock record is in the dictionary and that sound should just come out uh, they could rewrite it but I think that mix sort of political sensibilities are what's behind this and he probably just feels that it's better to avoid the controversy because a large segment of the Rolling Stones fan base is probably the same people who got really really angry about Baby It's Cold Outside which you know was completely unnecessary I think but they would see it as uh, the cancel culture is coming for the Rolling Stones now. Well, you're you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yeah, like if if you yeah, yeah. they have agency in this, and if they don't want to do it, that's their call. That's the way they've always rolled. So they're not bowing to this and that, whatever. They just that's how Mick feels, and that's fine. Yeah, and I I know Keith's quote has been going around saying like he's going to drop it for now, and then maybe it'll come back. It's it's not coming back. We have over one thousand amazing live recordings of Brown Sugar. We don't we don't need. More. Oh yeah, it's um, a piece of history. Yeah, I, and that I've frees written. up. I gotta say, you cut a big hit that frees up more room for oddball choices. Like one of the things well, yeah. in the newer sets I've been less thrilled about, it's like, yes, it's great to get Gimme Shelter every night. It's great to get Midnight Rambler every night. But the more of those, like those numbers that people will feel like they didn't get their money's worth if they don't hear, the more of those that are in the set, which has been the trend since the end of the Bigger Bang Tour, the less chance you're going to hear a Sway or a Worried About You or a Sweet Virginia mm-hmm. or those ones that no one cares about but that I want to hear because, uh, you know, I've heard the other ones a lot. Yeah. So that's Worried the About You was on the uh, the ballot for the fan vote in L.A., so here's hoping they bust that one out. Um, hopefully that means they've been rehearsing it. Yeah, and I know they. Steve Jordan said they've rehearsed like 70, 80 songs, something like that. So I hope that that's – they're not going to play all of Tattoo You. They already kind of did that for the Fonda show six years ago for Sticky Fingers, and I don't see them wanting to do that again. So yeah, but, soon, I want them, but, but I want them to do Slave, though. I want them to play Slave, though. That's, uh, that's a hell of a song. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to hear Tops. Oh, yeah, Tops, definitely. Uh, Neighbors, come on. Um, mm. But, yeah, I watched that 40 Licks documentary again, and like the way that version of Slave sounds, that somehow they didn't end up doing... Like, but like, yeah, Mick hard, does that it's great improvisation. Why. It's hard yeah. to it's hard to hear that that exists and know it exists and everything. And like for years with the "I Can't Get Next to You" that was on the strip documentary, like you could hear that fragment of it, and you're like, I just want to hear the whole record. And now we have it. Ha- yeah. Like I want that version of Slave, and I want it, you know, nicely mixed and everything like that. That that drove me crazy to hear it again because I just. Forgot. My favorite part of that, though, is that Mick keeps correcting Blondie that, that, that. on the beat to actually play the cowbell. Yeah. And, and the pattern, too. And you can see. <laughs> That's great. I don't know if that was made in editing, but Blondie, like, uh, what? I don't know. It's yeah. Funny. Yeah, it is good. Um, there was another interview recently with Blondie because he's going back out on the road with Brian Wilson. And he raised an interesting point uh, about not a lot of the folks who aren't in the inner inner sanctum really knowing Charlie all that well. And obviously they were, you know, uh, professional acquaintances and they, you know, toured together for years and years, but 
um, he was such an intensely private person that, you know, even people like Blondie Chaplin can't, you know, really say to have known him that well. Um, I think Bernard and, and Tim Reese posted some more remembrances because they played more gigs on the side outside of the Rolling Stones with Charlie. And Lisa too, because Lisa had been um, on more tours with him, obviously. Yeah. He really was... I mean, everybody said when you spoke to him, he spoke to everybody the same way. And, you know, you, didn't, you never got the idea you were speaking to, like, a famous guy when you were talking to him. Yeah, like, I, I, I respect so much the idea that the drummer in the biggest... It was weird how that started going around right before. But that meme of, I like that there's one guy in the Rolling Stones who just dresses like a regular 80-year-old man. And it's like, yeah, like, even yeah. the n- normal people are, are getting to learn about how great... Charlie Watts is like had the anti rock star, the guy who doesn't care. You could walk by him on the street. You think he was somebody's granddad or something, you know, that, that to me and his, his way of simply his playing and his musical expression, just being a part of who he is and not like, you know, the look at how great I am part of professional music playing, you know? Mm -hmm. So he really was a grounding. He's the most, here's something that I will say completely outside of the context of the way these guys play music together and it has nothing to do with Steve Jordan's competence as a drummer because he would he, he would be the number if you were putting that band together today from scratch you'd probably pick exact all well, the same people you know in my view but Charlie was also probably a grounding force just in the interpersonal dynamics of that band and that's um, where you're going to probably see the biggest, uh, feel his absence the most, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I know I saw some fans saying that, you know, when it comes time for the final bow and everybody leaves the stage and it's just now Keith and Mick and Ronnie, it's almost too much to take. Mm-hmm. No. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's so unusual. It's so strange. Yeah. And they're not doing the B stage set that they were doing in 2019, where Charlie would come down and play on a smaller kit and they play acoustic guitars. They've just left that out now. They've caught that, yeah. I don't. I never like to see. I like. I'm a big fan of the B stage. Yeah, but we got to see one of, yeah, one of the final iterations of that. That's another thing that's been very difficult for me to like. I noticed it's been up on my Facebook. Maybe I should share it to the page, but. The, the picture I took of the fireworks at Burles Creek, I think it may have been during the final bows or whatever, but there's this enormous lens flare there in the center of it. And I looked at it closer more recently, and I noticed that the lens flare actually originates right over Charlie's head on the monitor. Mm-hmm. And that was like 2019. And, that, and then it kind of hit me that it was like, yeah, 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 that's the last time you will ever see that version of the Rolling Stones with with Charlie Watts, like that's the last yeah. that ever was, and it's strange. It was twenty nineteen ninety nine to twenty nineteen is my is is my relationship with the Charlie Watts your era. Rolling Stones, and we're just in yeah, it's a lot insane question mark. We just we we're off the map now. Like we just don't know where we are. <laughs> yeah, it's like the are. it's like yeah. the mid seventies again. Fine, like Ushi Obermeyer's not there and nobody's drinking Rebel Yell, but yeah. like it's that same energy of Uncharted like waters. What the hell is up with the Rolling Stones? Are they gonna pull it out? Are they gonna get it yeah. together? Yeah. And as always, my favorite is people 
people who've, who've been with this band and just like seeing the number of people who, who die or these, this chaos that constantly swirls around. It's like, Oh, they're going to pack it in now. It's like, no, no. As, as, as Keith says, the only way out is in a pine box. That means (laughs) everyone, it's like a tongue team. Everyone has to die. And like, that's it. Like they will wear everyone out until no one is left. I'm sure of it. Like, they didn't get 60 years here and then, oh, well, finally, it's too much for me. I can't take it. No, they're, they're going to hang in there for sure. Yeah, so he, hopes are high for uh, this Tattoo You deluxe set. I, I'm a little bit disappointed that the Atmos mix is only going to be on streaming and not in the physical version, but I didn't buy the, the physical Blu-ray anyway. I bought the vinyl version, so... I guess I'm not that disappointed. Now, I don't know, but if I'm not interested in another crunchy, I, I got to say, like, I'm just going to be completely unhinged here. I'm not interested in another super crunchy, sounds like crap, over-limited remaster, especially if it, that then is cut to vinyl. It's just unfiltered here on Under the Radar. We're going way out there. If, though, if they did do remix the, the album for Atmos, if, if we're talking about a Goat's Head Soup situation... Uh, this is our concern. This is absolutely something that I'm interested in. The Atmos remixes so far of the archival material and a very special shout out to Troubles Are Coming, which uh, is so good. Like, better than the original version. Oh, yeah. Like, one of the best, like, the Get It Together backing vocals. It's almost like, a, it's like what they did with Not Fade Away or a lot of Just My Imagination where, mm-hmm. like, yeah. It's a cover, yeah, but it's, it's kind of rewritten a little bit. Uh, and the yeah. modern... The, well, Mick wrote a couple of extra lines, too. Old Man Trouble? Bringing out Old Man Trouble for this? Like, it's just... It, it couldn't yeah. be better. It couldn't be better for me. And so so poignant and resident now. So if if there's a remixed... If there's the potential for a remixed Tattoo You... I, I was just going through this because uh, I have the original vinyl. I've heard the half-speed mastered one i would say that they're neck and neck maybe edge to the half-speed one it's tough because those mixes like irrespective of people being rolling stones fans those are like those being bob clear mountain mixes they are like in the canon of like how to do a rock mix you know say whatever you will about the rolling stones yeah. there's people out- the reverb alone on start me up on that that snare drum I, is like I, okay I, this is the 80s now i use that i use that exact <laughs> decay the guitar the, the intro to start me up to test when i upgraded my converters or when i upgrade any of the vinyl material i always put tattoo you through it because i know what that you, you got to listen for really specific things and i know exactly what that's supposed to sound like and then you can then when you hear like okay this was my old setup this is my current one by contrasting those two things and it only it only really works with stuff that you know you won't necessarily get this result but that mm-hmm. I, that's how that's how much i believe in in those mixes and redoing them from nothing even if Bob Clear Mountain himself redoes them, and I think he's he's got to be mixing in Atmos. He had a special like six-channel bus compressor made for surround, so I'm sure he's on Atmos. But let me tell you, Giles Martin, he can mix everything from now on. Like his ability to recreate the Ghost Head Soup mix, but yeah, 
just better, like it, it more appropriate now. And I've, I've gone deep into researching Atmos. I would love to start working in Atmos. And that really does seem to be the way things are going. And the Atmos editions being on streaming is preferable to me because that's probably how I'm going to be listening to it. I don't have physical playback set up at the moment, um, maybe eventually, right. but streaming, like I did sub to Apple Music because they have a ton of Atmos content and just lost myself in that and Tidal and all that. So that's kind of more like the binaural way is for the moment how... Yeah, the fold down. Yeah. How I'm listening to Atmos and that's how most people well, like will the, be. You can listen... You can listen to Atmos mixes in 5.1 as well on a standard setup if your if your receiver will take the stream. So that's that's how I've been experiencing Goat's Head. Yeah, so this is turning into the Dolby Atmos podcast, but the beauty the beauty <laughs> of Dolby Atmos and they haven't given me any money or anything, but the beauty of it is is that whether it's a, a theater or your headphones, that that full collapsing of the signal or Anything is done in software at the last minute. So you don't even need special equipment to make it work. If you do have special equipment, you will obviously get much, much more out of it. But an Amazon Alexa can do Dolby Atmos. My phone can do Dolby Atmos. A lot of the newer phones can do Dolby Atmos. And even so, even if you're just listening to something like the Abbey Road uh, that Giles Martin redid or the Goat's Head Soup, there's benefits to translating those mixes into traditional stereo because of the way they work. It, it, I find it extremely flattering for stuff that is done the old fashioned way with mini, minimal compression and mm -hmm. it's nice and roomy and airy and everything like that. So this is relevant because we're talking about the Rolling Stones and Rolling Stones are on Universal and there seems to be a big interest in redoing everything for Atmos. And I'm here for it. And I think in five years, um, the fact is Dolby Atmos has been here for a really long time in many, many ways, but it's only going to become more and more the standard. The film industry has been on it for a long time and music is just getting there. Mm -hmm. So this isn't quad. I don't think this isn't surround. I think this will actually have a market penetration. Yeah, no, you raise a good point about the compatibility with headphones because, you know, we've been talking about how much people who are serious about listening to music, they don't use hi-fi equipment so much. They might have a turntable with a nice set of speakers, but if you're listening to a lot of music on another format and you are serious about it, you're likely to be rocking a nice pair of headphones. So the fact that it is, all this content is being designed with binaural headphone reproduction in mind is a good thing, in my opinion. That's, that's future-proofing for that audience. Yeah. Whether you're doing it on... Apple Music or your whatever. Well, I like the fact that the the end user is allowed to decide and define how they relate to it. So, like, I do have a hi-fi system. I love it. It's not going anywhere. But I may switch to a Sonos bar at some point. Like, I love the idea of, like, this is my sound temple and I sit down here and focus on what I'm listening to. And for TV, home theater kind of things, like an Atmos bar makes a lot of sense for me. Um but I have a turntable and I have headphones and I have whatever. And like, it's great to just be able to listen to the best quality version of the music that I can in any format that I choose at the mm -hmm. moment, if I want to switch to headphones, cause I'm going to mop the floor or whatever, or, you know, it's all good. I do have some slight reservations in that, how, you know, back catalogs where there isn't a definitive version, like you point to Tattoo U and everybody knows what Tattoo U sounds like. We've been living with that mix for 40, 40, 40 years, years yeah. now. 
But if you're going back to the 60s and it's like, well, really all those early stuff, that should be mono. Yes. Um, unless you have somebody like Giles Martin who's capable enough to be like, okay, well, what can we get out of the original session tapes? And can we expand that outward without losing the what was good about the mono in the first place? Yeah. Um, you're going to have a lot of uncareful approaches being taken in uncareful hands when it comes to that early, early material. Yeah, the Motown mixes are probably the best example of that that I can think of because, again, everyone knows what the Motown mixes are supposed to sound like. However, they seem to, they're better than the, the current ones. The Atmos ones are better than the stereo mixes that were done in the 80s by far. Like, just take those, those old stereo mixes, just throw them right up. They are worthless. They have retained a lot of the kooky things about early stereo mixes. The caveat to that is that with the crosstalk and by the nature of the way Atmos works, there's a lot more blending. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite as egregious as it was in the 60s. But the best of the Dolby Atmos Motown mixes, in my opinion, are the ones that favor and retain the elements of of the of the original mono mixes. Like, yeah, obviously now the guys who did that effect on the beginning of Shotgun could never have dreamed of how well that will translate to Atmos in a theater. Like, they were blown past yeah. uh, infinity here. But there's some stuff. Goat's Head Soup is a great example of a record that was not that holy as far as its mix quality, and it's not, like, that popular a record. Like, it's not... I, I think they should do XL on Main Street because the, as long as they retain the original mixes and st that's all there... We don't lose anything by remixing it for Atmos. Mm -hmm. And that, that's that's a clear, like they would use those things as a reference. They would do a great job of that. I don't know if I told the show about this, but I got an original mono 45 of Jumping Jack Flash. And it sounds so different from the mono editions that you hear on streaming services. I don't think it was ever transferred correctly. The difference between hearing it off the needle you have not experienced Jumping Jack Flash until you have heard it in the original mono. Like, it, it just has not... I, I'm telling you, unless you were there, like, it was it was like a come-to-Jesus moment for me to actually hear it the way it was in Child of the Moon, the way that they were cut and intended, because those were never... A lot of the other stuff is fine, but the mono stuff, like, the especially those transition years, Dandelion, like, 65 to 60 to like 71 when they, I feel like they kind of got it by then. Yeah. Well, to bring this back to Brown Sugar, I mean, even Brown Sugar, like the mono, I think that's the first time the stereo mix is at least on par and probably better than the mono mix. And then going forward from there, they were like, okay, we'll just do one and that'll be the version that you get. Well, yeah. And obviously something weird was happening with all down the line, the amount that it was remixed and what, the, what they ended up going with. But yeah, by the mid seventies with Bob Clear Mountain's chic mixes, I think that becomes the standard, the kick and the snare and the bass are all in the center. The vocals right in the center. Everything else is in a sort of stereo spread around. But yeah, I, I'm disappointed in a lot of cases when they do source the stereo instead of the mono because having gone back and, and actually heard it, it's it's unbelievable the difference. And I think that all that stuff, I mean, the way convert, all that stuff was done in the 80s, the way converters were and, and what tastes was. And they say, oh, we can brighten it up now or we can noise reduce it. Yeah, but you also destroyed the sax on Dancing in the Street and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like that's due. That's due for reevaluating going back to the master tapes they they can half speed master it and whatever make a big hoopla out of it 
But that mono stuff, they need to put that right in front and they need to do a campaign. Yeah. All these old labels need to do, if you're running a mono heritage brand with a legacy artist, you've got to get out there and like get Jeff Emmerich and get everybody who worked on it at the time to say, no, like the mono is the definitive version. Nobody wanted to hear the stereo. I hated the mixes. You can go on YouTube and see Jeff Emmerich get like visibly angry when asked about the stereo yeah. mixes, just the concept of them at all. So that needs to be honored. And that's a, that's a mistake. I think that we're not, we have the master tapes, but we don't have what the lathe did to it. We don't have what an original 45 would sound like. And that's what you need to be going for. Not just what the final stage before the cutting lathe was anyway. That is a huge nerdy aside <laughs> to what we should be talking about. Yeah, I don't know. What else should we cover? Well, we talked a little bit about the tattoo. U. I think by the time this drops, it will be out. So you should have already heard all the bonus tracks. But they've been playing Troubles that come on live, and it sounds great. Um, I hate to kick the hornet sets here, but I love that version of Drift Away, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's better than Uncle Cracker. It's better than Don't Be Gray. But is it better than the nylons? <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> Ringo. <laughs> nobody, nobody does it better. Yeah. Nobody does it better. The other single, Living in the Heart of Love, they put out a music video for that, and they put a lot of nice vintage Charlie in there. Yeah, it was all, it's all Charlie, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, other stuff that we could talk about that's coming up, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, we've already mentioned that Keith's Winos 93 tour thing might still be happening, but might be delayed because of the rush to get Steve in. We don't have to see the Winos. One of those concerts from the 93 tour. The Record Store Day 7-inch is the, the only release officially so far from that uh, London Town & Country Club gig. In that's actually December 92. So that's before the lineup changed. And yeah, I looked yeah, into yeah. that. And then also a 93 show with the different uh, Winos band. Who changed, right? I, I don't know that. Uh, Being stupid. Gosh, well, let me double check because... Is that dude? You don't have to Google it. I'll figure <laughs> it out. 93. Actually, you know what? Go to wadiwocktelinfo.com um, and they have it there. Okay, okay I'm uh, going there. Jerome Smith took over on bass for the 93 tour. Oh, instead yeah. of Charlie Drayton. That was what was yeah. different. Uh, Charlie Drayton wasn't available, so Jerome Smith. Oh, him. yeah, yeah. But okay. the Town and Country yeah, Club cool. no, I show hear is with Charlie Drayton. So that, that mm. might be coming. Yeah, so we want to we wanna be able to compare that. Yeah. Obviously, the main focus now is on finishing the tour, and it seems to be going fairly well. Everybody's been enjoying from all reports I've read. They've been getting great reviews from what I hear. Yeah. Don't believe everything you read on clickbait sites. Yeah, it's always like you stay away from that. But yeah, I, I would really like to see this version of the band. I, I, I want them to come here. It started to dawn on me, and I've said this before, but it started to dawn on me that like they will not live forever. Like I've actually started to be a little more realistic about like, yeah, they're 80 and they're not going to like I'm going to have to live half my life without the Rolling Stones, you know, and that's that's weird. I, I'm, an, I'm more of a Rolling Stones fan than a human being, you know, like I'm more concerned <laughs> about that than anything else. I, yeah, yeah, it's been tough. I think I didn't know. I didn't know how much everybody, I think, took Charlie for granted. They took the Stones for granted, you know. Yeah, but certainly the 
the amazing outpouring from other musicians and from people who you wouldn't expect to give Charlie such great props. Um, other drummers, you know, you, there was quite a, an amazing uh, response from the public uh, in support of Charlie. And um, obviously our condolences to everybody who knew him very well and, and everyone in his family. Um, this can't be easy to be watching, you know, his life's project sort of continue without him. But it's got to be difficult on the band, too. I mean, they alluded to this in that Steve Jordan interview, and he said, you know. Yeah, they couldn't go to his funeral. I just heard that, like, the, the other guys in the Stones couldn't go to his funeral because of COVID. And, yeah. uh, like, that sucks. That's yeah. horrible. And, you know, Steve Jordan is obviously taking no pleasure in having to carry on while his friend, Charlie, from all those years is, you know, not there to do the work. But, I like, I agree with you. I think... They have a future ahead of them in terms of, you know, polishing off these last recordings with him and and maybe Steve has a role to play there, but um I think he knows always, probably yeah. like he's got a good insight, I would bet, into like what Charlie would, as our friend Mike Edison said, Steve Jordan playing in the Blues Brothers band is different from Steve Jordan playing with Keith. When he's playing with Keith, he plays more like Charlie. So I think that he's got a reasonably good sense of how Charlie approaches things. Having said that, when Daryl Jones took over for Bill Wyman, you know, they were all like, we're not going to tell you what's applied to like, do you, you figure, you know, then that's the spirit of the Rolling Stones. You know, they, they don't do that. So it'll be interesting to see how they go forward. I, I, I think that there's potential for them broadening their horizons maybe or trying something different or, or integrate in while integrating whatever Steve Jordan brings to the table into their defined sound. So, yeah, like we said, it's uncharted territory. I don't, I can't think of a 60th anniversary occurring for any other artist that I've ever followed with as much interest. Not Macca. I mean, yeah, we've had a lot of 60th anniversaries oh, of the Beatles, but... <laughs> okay, when you say that, yeah. I mean, I don't... The, the, like you said, there's nothing more to say about the Beatles. Like, I'm interested. I'm getting the Let It Be remix, because as you said, I love Charles Martin's work, and I think he can really improve that and, record, but... Yeah. yeah. There's not a lot left to say about that. Well, you know, they got to get it right one of these days. <laughs> one of these remixes of Let It Be has got to be right, you know, <laughs> eventually. But, yeah, like... It's not a disparaging comment. It's just a different... I think that the, that explains why there is such a scholarly bias in towards the Beatles because they were one of the first bands to get really big. They were a observable social phenomenon in a media age. One of the reasons people don't talk about Elvis or Jerry or um, Rhoda Richard in the same way is because they they didn't penetrate mainstream American culture in the way that the Beatles did. So for a lot of people, their understanding of rock music begins with the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. So, and then it ends with the rooftop concert, right? So there, it's very easy to look at that. And therefore, the more you go to search out information about what rock music is and its history, that creates a huge kind of dominant mass. It, pull, it, it starts to generate gravity. Like yeah. People like... And then it becomes, this is the most important band of all time because this is the most important band of all time. You can see this with with Shakespeare or with 
fifth century Athens guys, you know, and it attracts these kind of people who say like, this is how you can live your whole life. If you study this one aspect of human history, but the Rolling Stones is a living, is a living tradition. That's right. <laughs> and we're still, we're still, you know, embodied and out there and, and we're 60 and counting. You know, we're writing history. We're not reading it, you know? Um, <laughs> so we just don't know where I don't read. Um, but we're, we're just, we're still, that's one of the things that I think, affects the way I think about the songs as opposed to other people where people go like, well, it's only good up to XL Main Street. It's only good up to Tattoo You. And it's like, I like the one they put out most recently as much as the old stuff. And I like to follow their lives and their drama or whatever. I'm, I'm more like a royal, yeah. you know, those people who's obsessed with the queen or something like oh, yeah. that. That's yeah. how I this am is, about the, them. And the people who are listening to this podcast are like people with Hello Magazine subscriptions. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we are yeah so take of that what you will <laughs> um okay well if everybody's still listening uh i don't know why you would be probably everybody's turned off by this point <laughs> thank you again for bearing with us and and again thank you if you've sent in messages i hope i got back to all of you maybe i didn't in which case i'm sorry but thank you again doubly um to all of you i did write to and again if you like this podcast um please recommend it we do only really reach new people via word of mouth so um it also helps if you give us a good review i think a five-star review on apple podcasts if that's how you're hearing us or on whatever other podcast listening service you're using that's always helpful and if you want to write to us you can always write to rolling stones podcast at gmail.com we read all of that or at least i do and i'll try and respond if he I can. forwards he forwards them to me too i i, I read them the important yeah. ones anyway uh, the other thing I want to mention is that Christian single Christine is credited to your artist name Altham Carson. Can you tell yes, people? Yes. Um, um, if you got anything in the pipeline for that? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's on all the streaming services. It's actually my first release in title MQA, which I thought you would be excited about. Yeah, it's like a really stripped down, old fashioned country rock track thing. Some friends of mine were working on it. It's like compared it to like early Wayland Jennings or stuff. I mean, if you like the stones and if you like the countryside of the stones, you probably like it. Um, I did a one-off vinyl that my friend had did a, like a contest and I was actually really impressed with how it sounded. So I'm probably going to do, uh, another one, uh, for my next single, which may be come out in the winter, but yeah, definitely I'm going to do a short run of vinyl. So, um, it would be great if uh, you would listen to it because it's very Rolling Stones-y as long as, as, long as uh, along with all my other music, which is on the streaming services. But yeah, it would be great to get a little bit of support, even if it's just listening, because it's a pretty tough time for artists. And I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm not really, a, I started only releasing singles because of having the free time in the pandemic and because clients right now are pretty few and far between. So just trying to keep my name out there. So it's probably, um, it would do me a real big favor to have people check it out and listen to it and hopefully really enjoy it. And I do have a band camp as well. If you feel like supporting me financially. Yeah. Throw a couple bucks on the Altham Carson band camp and download Christine in the highest possible quality. Cause if you're listening on Spotify, honestly, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> The best way to hear it as far as the audio fidelity is is the Bandcamp or the MQA. 
but I'm probably gonna have a high def version on YouTube pretty soon. I thought I would do a video of actually ripping the, the record because I'm pretty obsessed with the way it sounds. So yeah, follow Altum Carson on your streaming service of choice and, and stream Christine on loop as many times. Follows are great. Yeah. It's, it's A-L-T-H-A-M-C-A-R-S-O-N and I get the best money from YouTube. So if you want to help me out, just uh, find it on YouTube and spin it. There's there's two. There's Christine and you want it all available on any of the streaming services, whatever. But like follow, play, like, add it to playlists, whatever. It supports me, which helps support the show. We don't really have a monetizing apparatus set up but um we do this in our free time so the better our lives are going the more time we have to make the show that's as far as we're going well Tim said. Is yes. trying to restrain laughing at that uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean i we're doing okay now so we're putting out an episode let's leave it at that yeah we're, uh, we're, and then yeah. everything you can see we're alive everything like, is we're clearly yeah like look it's great to be here it's great to be anywhere you know like that <laughs> that's that's our mantra <laughs> it never gets old yeah cool well then we'll sign off i'm tim Lindsay, and i'm christian bonner and this has been under the radar until the next time we say goodbye was i supposed to do it i stole it from you last time okay <laughs> <No>. yeah <laughs> let me do it this time okay yeah i'll shut up